The content of this episode is a product of the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence. The views and ideas presented do not necessarily represent the opinions or policies of NATO and is only reflective of the independent perspective of the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence. The content presented is not classified and therefore is releasable via open source means. Everything that we looked at in the past has been about managing risk and therefore balancing that, taking time to make sure that risk is managed appropriately. If you can massively reduce risk, you can work much more quickly. Welcome everyone to the C2 and Beyond podcast presented by the Command and Control Center of Excellence. I'm your host today, Lieutenant Adrian Granillo, and I'm joined by Dave Flash Flanagan. Flash, welcome. Good morning, and it's a pleasure to be here. And before we actually get into the why we're having you here, first, can you please uh, just briefly introduce yourself, give the audience a bit of background information about, about yourselves, please? No worries. So Adrian, as you say, uh, known as Flash, officially Dave Flanagan. I've been working with a company called Garrison for the last two years, but prior to that, I spent a little over 20 years working with a major SI. People maybe recognize EDS, HP Enterprise Services, DXC, in the defense and national security space in the UK. Uh, before that, I was doing voice and data comms for a retail outfit. And before that, I had a very brief stint in the Royal Air Force. So I've brought an enterprise architect view based on essentially 20 years of experience in that defense and national security area to uh, Garrison as a company. And Garrison and really the work that you're, the company you work for is the folks of today's discussion. And it really, Garrison is trying to, is, I guess for lack of better terms, is trying to push the thousand pound boulder up the 90 degree incline of information sharing. Um, it's something that occurs at the national, the coalition, and the mission level. And Garrison is trying to rectify a lot of the issues that exist there. Could you briefly talk about some of the work that Garrison is doing in trying to rectify that ongoing information sharing issue? Sure. To characterize Garrison to start with, um, it was a startup in 2014. So it's been going for a little over five years. Our co-founders, uh, Dave Garfield and Henry Harrison, and it's Garfield Harrison gives us the garrison, recognized that there was a upcoming challenge in terms of information sharing, collaboration, but also about how to join domains together in a secure and safe way. They both have a strong defense and national security heritage. They were looking at how to address this cross-domain solution for information sharing and collaboration. But they wanted to address it from a perspective that not only embraced what governments and defense need to do, but recognized that these challenges are equally applicable in the commercial space. So what they were looking at is how the difference between 15, 20, 30 years ago where commercial organizations just connected to the internet because it was all fine. There'd be some chap in his bedroom trying to break in and change their web page. And from a government point of view, people didn't connect to the internet because there were nation states trying to break in. How over the ensuing years, 
those two models have now converged. Everybody needs to be connected and those attackers now have incredible sophistication in terms of what they're able to do. So the company was formed to create a solution to that converged problem, essentially to deliver information, collaboration, but security, performance and affordability to address both government commercial markets. And, mm. and that's really where we were going with that one. And so kind of outlining the the purpose and you know understanding that there's this converging the two the the civilian sector and the military needs and that this marketplace of using the internet and really just IP services as a whole. Was there one singular event that also served as a forcing function to say, hey, these are converging, or was it just garrison monitoring the growing trend of okay, these bubbles are overlapping and are starting to look like one? Essentially it was that ongoing monitoring and awareness um, that what was happening in the world, what we were seeing this convergence. As you um, will be well aware, there have been many, many activities, both in the defense space and in commercial space over the past 10, 15 years that have highlighted the, the way in which things are no longer segregated and there is no longer that clean separation between governments going off and having a go at each other and commercial enterprises um, being hit by people with limited sophistication. So, so that has changed a lot. They were in an environment, they were working in an environment that was trying to address those problems anyway. And it was very much a case of working in that space, seeing what was going on and taking the step backwards and looking at the wider piece and going, oh, actually, we can see this convergence coming together. And therefore, now is maybe a time to take action to do something about it. And so, you know, now Garrison's one of those, those companies who has seen it coming, who has worked towards rectifying or, or at least being a step ahead or trying to put a foot, at, a foot ahead of this ongoing issue that not just NATO, but national partners as a whole face. What exactly does Garrison's solution look like for, for this ongoing convergence? Think, think of it as, um, so the, the basic technology is an isolation-based technology. So one of the ways that we try and describe this to people who've never seen the concept before um, is to think about having two cell phones. So one cell phone is carrying out your remote browsing function your remote VDI function, and it displays the result on the screen of the cell phone. The second cell phone, its camera and microphone, video that first display, take the result and deliver it to the endpoint. So we have this concept of a very robust break between the outside and the inside. The way in which that's implemented and part of the essence of Garrison's journey and story is that we implemented that solution in hardware. Garrison is part of an ecosystem of companies that are following an approach that's been called HardSec, hardware-based security, as a way to differentiate between the huge, huge investment that people make in cybersecurity software 
and the challenges that that still has and the need to make actual simple, elegant solutions available to do really, really simple security enforcing functions. This is going to be um, a, a long, long journey, we feel, as we start to raise that awareness of the convergence of the threat, the convergence of the way in which people operate. And what we've seen over the past few years is that increasing number of different organizations and companies who are recognizing the value of the hardsec model. Um, obviously, you'll be familiar with um, NSA, NCDSMO, and Raise the Bar. Those sorts of areas are common in the US, common in Europe, and in UK. And, and we're just starting to bring those together. And so, kind of thinking, and just from my own background, you know, a little bit in the cybersecurity realm in terms of I act as a steward of of a whether it be a US unclassified or US classified network that the hard sec cybersecurity uh, considerations are I legitimately need to run a separate security program for every single domain that any one of the users that I'm responsible for might need um, with those security concerns it sounds like there's a there's kind of a streamlining approach for garrison in that Yes, security is 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 paramount to the end product, but it's also giving a more elegant solution. So, I, I, I guess my question is, how are you dealing with the security implications that are required to melt all these different information platforms while also making it as, for lack of a better term, idiot proof for the endpoint user? <laughs> 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 so, ha, ha, never underestimate the ingenuity of an idiot. So we, <laughs> we, we work as hard as we can to make the solutions as transparent as possible to the user. Right. Um, and I, I think this is one of the most interesting aspects of what we're trying to achieve is that we are looking at delivering this capability that integrates and streamlines the way in which people today do their interoperability, information sharing and collaboration. So that underneath there is a robust security enforcing model, but on the surface, as far as the user is concerned, they're continuing to use a browser or a remote desktop. And within those browsers and remote desktops, they're still using the tools with which they're familiar and the processes with which they're familiar. And we are seeking to enable those in a more secure fashion so that the people in J6, N6, A6 are under less stress and pressure in terms of how to join all these systems together. And the people who do the accreditation, the documentation around that, they can look at a solution that will help them address those concerns in a repeatable pattern to make it easier to do that interoperability. And I think this ultimately will lead us to a change in, in the ways in which people work, but it is a gentle introduction of technical enforcement underneath what people do to try and keep the user's experience uh, as familiar as possible, but as enabled as possible as we go forward. Th does that really 
address what you were looking for there? It does, and it and it kind of. Um, I mean, the first thing as we begin to talk as we begin to kind of pull apart this idea of interoperability, which is not just something that NATO's focused on, but the Federated Mission Networking Initiative is also focused on, and countries across the world that I need to coordinate some sort of evolution, some sort of large military movement, or even small, I can't easily do it because of the amount of gate guards that exist on my one system that do not communicate. And, and really the classic example that NATO is familiar with is the Afghan mission network and how that came down to really, we need to get information to the right people at the right time. And we need to encourage a culture of information sharing. And what that really translated to is I, I being a warfare commander in this area am tired of how uninteroperable we are how we cannot as a six function, as a two function, as a three function, openly share information with our allies, with our coalition partners on the same network. And there was um, a concerted effort to kind of bring those all together. Future, um, kind of looking into the future, it seems like what you're talking about, it's not that Garrison is going to recreate AMN, but it's going to at least work towards creating a common thread so that those platforms can still exist, but that they can exist more harmoniously while also protecting the endpoint user. Is that a, is a fair assessment or am I just completely off base? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there, that is a fair assessment. There's a lot of truth. I suppose the way that I would look at it from my perspective is that AMN took a while to get going. Uh, and as you say, there was a huge amount of frustration. There was a necessity to get information shared. And in cases that would have led to people doing things that were maybe a little outside of what the, the rules said were appropriate. And that necessity w- was the mother invention in terms of how um, AMN then took shape and moved forward. In And, and again, this is from my perspective, um, I was involved in the delivery from the UK perspective of a couple of systems that were designed specifically for that environment. For me, making the mission the community of interest and building for that w- was a key step forward. So mm. we were able to recognize that in this case, AMN, but this, this concept of mission secret is, is an, is an enclave. It's just an enclave. Um, and, what we ended up with is a community of interest supported by an infrastructure. Historically, one of the biggest challenges we've had is trying to create one instance of an infrastructure, one system that can support many different communities of interest, support many different data sets all in there. The world has moved on from a technological point of view. So those underlying COTS components are now available where you can create many instances of a single pattern to support a COI. Um, And I'm not suggesting for one second that any of this is easy, but what we now have is a much more mature set of tools available to the people who design and integrate systems that allow you to keep your data separate, 
but still achieve interoperability and collaboration. And this is part of where Garrison's coming at this problem from. It's that ability as an operator to reach and, and an operator, a user, a consumer to reach into a number of different enclaves from a single desktop to execute your mission in an efficient way. And the whole of AMN was, was one of those shared environments. Yeah. And I think with the AMN, I think you kind of alluded to this is while it did share, it shared the intro, it, sorry, it corrected the interoperability concerns and the interoperability challenges in an isolated scenario. It was a, 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 not a one size fits all, but it was this size made for this exact situation, which moving forward, that's not going to be the domain that we're always fighting in or that we're always partnering in. Whereas I think what you're describing is you as a, as a national organization are going to have your, whether it be, I mean, for, for me, your US Zipper or your, your, your JWIX or your, um, your different centrics enclaves, I will continue to have those, but making that information available in a secure way so that I can mission share with my partners in any environment is the ultimate end goal is if I'm understanding correctly. That's exactly right. That's, okay. that's exactly it. Um, and we're, from my point of view, again, I'm looking to make the world an easier place, not necessarily <laughs> to fundamentally change all of it. Right. So, right. so, so you're right. Um, the, the I, I'm very, very conscious that um, if the operator, if the user, the consumer, from their, in air quotes, standard desktop, and that might be a national secret system. It may be a system that has no specific classification associated with it. It's just a presentation layer. But if from their standard desktop, they can readily and easily reach into any of those other systems to execute the mission tasks that they need to do in those environments, then that is easier than trying to extract data and extract value from each of those systems and bring that data into their home system because there are all sorts of challenges associated with that from a security perspective, interoperability perspective. So it's very much about human interoperability. Um, that is, is very much the, the garrison story is how you enable the person to do things that historically were either really, really difficult or they simply weren't allowed to do. And so for me, um, with my maritime background, one of the things I immediately start thinking about is um, th there's a benefit in that I can continue to use my processes and my tools in the way that I'm familiar with. But one thing I'm always having to consider is when I do need something else, it usually requires a space commitment. It, it usually requires some sort of allocated space just to be able to do. And I'm talking physical space just to host a new enclave where platforms are small. They're usually built not always looking forward into the future or if you're going to put something new and you're going to have to replace with something else. Whereas this is more a, I don't have to make any new accommodations on my own end to actually be able to mission share and to work with my partners. Just, you know, 
thinking about that, I, I think at least from the maritime approach, that that's a that's a huge win. That that's a huge game changer. I know we're not there yet, but looking forward, something as practical as that, th- that's a step in the right direction. Absolutely, and what we've so from my direct experience in 2016, I was part of a team uh, that provided access to NATO secret from national secret as part of a, um, a maritime exercise and uh, role within NATO. The, there are a number of key elements in what we did there. Um, the joining together of those two systems wasn't to allow the exchange of data. It was to allow that human interoperability. Mm-hmm. Um, we were working with the technology that was available at the time. And bear in mind, this is before Garrison, before I joined that company, I was working with the SIs at that point in time. What we enabled, exactly as you say there, is the ability of the staff on board the vessel, uh, because this was uh, maritime battle staff um, on a particular vessel. Uh, It allowed them to access those two systems from a single laptop, from a single machine, so single pane of glass type approach. There were two things that really, really struck me about that. One is that once we delivered the capability and the battle staff were actually using it, nobody really commented. They just got on and worked. The fact that national secret was in one window and mission secret was on another window and it was on the same machine didn't cross their minds. It was just get on with my job. Um, and exactly as you say, if we'd been forced to do that with traditional IT and multiple devices on the endpoint, then I'm not saying the vessel would have sunk, but it would have been listing because of the amount of additional kit. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, that there were a number of those desk stations. There simply was not room for more than one terminal. And in the past, that would have resulted in complex workflows, people having to be at particular desk points to do particular jobs. Whereas for this exercise, this event, it was just there as ubiquitous access. So that ready access to multiple enclaves um, to do your job. And it's trying to do that from a single pane of glass so that you can do the operational component of your job. You can maybe access training materials that are in a nominally unclassified space. Makes it easier to collaborate. Um, Certainly when you're looking at something that effectively has got a, a, I've not used this term before, I'd be careful with this term, a dirty plug on it. You can then plug it into something else as and when you need to um, for collaboration Mm -hmm. reasons. All of that with less risk to manage because there's less infrastructure, less complexity. All of that stays in the data center. Um, the The way we are today, there are a number of different aspects from a security point of view, from an infrastructural point of view that that has now enabled. And so, you know, looking at this example, you kind of outlined of your your actual real world scenario where an endpoint user is using it and, excuse me, I'm forgetting the, the company, but it just works. It just, it plugs in and just works. And when it works well, they don't notice because really that's what you want, especially when it comes to CIS. You just want people to be able to use it and to forget that it's there because you're trying to streamline processes. And ultimately, I mean, as a C2 center of excellence, kind of looking forward, I, th- I think you've, you've already outlined most of it, but I really for a commander, what does this do to their, their C2 process? Because already the first thing that jumps out is 
for them to practice C2, they need to maintain a high level of situational awareness. And right now to do it really in any field that involves a huge buy-in, not just with the equipment that they're bringing, but many different um, tools that are often cumbersome and don't just require space, but they require training, they require money, they require many different things to, to enable. But I guess, how does this potentially streamline a commander C2 process? So um, one of the things that I'm really conscious of from any sort of, um, and again, I'll use air quotes, business process re-engineering perspective Mm -hmm. is not wanting to give the impression that we land like a hammer and change the world. (laughs) Um, So, the the challenge that we've seen uh, in the past is not so much the weight of tools that are used, but access to those tools in a meaningful way and access to the information and the data that those tools need to be useful um, if, in order for them to be exploited in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. So what we're um, looking for at the moment is how we can ease the continued deployment of tools that people are familiar with. And as you say, in just making access to them such that they're not swiveling chairs, um, they're accessing them natively from a single machine. As we ease that access and make that um, collaborative working or information sharing, or actually mostly make the operator awareness better because they can see these different things in the different places, uh, different information sources that are coming together. So as you said a moment ago, um, having access to the information set that's in Centrix and the apps that are in there to BICES, to um, something like AMN in the future, whatever that may be, so with various FASs installed in there, to whatever tools are available in your national systems and how they're done. From an intelligence point of view, the wealth of tools that exist in an intelligence space. Being able to reach into all of those tools and get the bit of information that you need to allow you to make a decision is is where we are going at the moment in terms of that enablement piece. Over time, I would anticipate, hope, that as people's ways of working start to change to reflect that ease of access to things, then maybe there will come a time when they can start to more easily rationalize the tool sets that exist because right. I've, I've been involved in over the past 15 years, at least three major attempts to rationalize tool sets. And each time there will be a commander somewhere who points out that this obscure application is actually a tre- cherished and essential application and it can't be got rid of. Um, and it means that app rationalization gets very, very difficult. There are some simple sorting out, making sure everybody's using the same version of Office where possible. But when it comes to line of business applications, there is a lot of um, trust in the things you're familiar with. There's that feeling of ownership and protection, that cherishing aspect to it. And I think what we want to do is to ease the access rather than force people to build new for their new environment. So if you've got something that works perfectly well um, as a NATO application, what I 
would hope we are able to do is to prevent the needs to re-engineer that to work in a national secret space because actually it's only ever used in a NATO space and people can just reach into the NATO space and use it there. And it's that sort of easing of the um, app burden that, w- that I would see going forward. It's a, it, I think it's a, a difficult and challenging area and there's a, there's a long way to go there. And Garrison is most certainly not a silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the, uh, the, the classic example that everyone's used to is whether whatever command organization um, intelligence service you may work at, the entire thing might be in the, in the 21st century, but there's inevitably going to be that one cherished cornerstone product that is still running on Windows 98, Linux, that's in a box in the back that's still uh, being processed on vacuum tubes that they, they still need. They still need access to. But I think removing the guard said, hey, you don't necessarily need to stop using that. We just need to integrate it into the greater suite of tools that allow for us to at least function on one plane. Absolutely. And I think... Um that is a really good example of one of the things that, that we can help with is that those old and dangerous tools or those complex environments you really didn't want to talk to before. Right. When you were looking at the way in which those architectures were put together, what you would often see from a designer um, is the, the reference architecture be put together, there'll be various bits and pieces, and there'll be this little bit in the middle where these things came together that says sprinkle pixie dust here. Um, This is the bit where people have forever had that huge security challenge around how do I actually enable interoperability? How do I actually enable collaboration? And what will, and, and a lot of that security challenge comes from a previous view that the way to do the interoperability and the collaboration was to move data across those boundaries. And what we're doing is saying, well, that's not necessarily the only way. Now you have a way of allowing the person, the operator to reach across the boundary and you don't move the data until you absolutely need to. Therefore you can focus those security concerns on, on a smaller region with a reduced scope and scale which gives you that stronger focus um, from a security perspective. And so, uh, perfect world. Uh, the the tools are made available to to a, war, a wide art, excuse me, a wide audience. Where theoretically you've enabled the function of going from a need to know to a need to share. So so people are allowed to freely exchange data. What. Garrison looks to rectify or looks to enable is the human interactions between people to be able to share that information in the way that they feel comfortable and that they're used to without actually inserting a new separate enclave that tries to do everything for them, that jack of all trades. No, you know what you like to use. Now let's give you an interface to actually, or at least, at least give you a commonality to be able to share that. But with that being said though, some of the biggest hindrances to getting there though, and, and there's a, Military history is littered with casualties of great ideas that had no buy-in from the user. They would have solved that issue. They did solve that issue, but they weren't used for one reason or another. I guess maybe it's a security question. Maybe it's just a a simple answer of 
hoping that the endpoint user presses I believe. But I guess how, how do you get people to actually transition if you give them the tool and you say it's there to actually use it? Because the, the next thing that kind of stands out for me is there are inevitably going to be people who say, I know I have the ability. I know I don't understand it. And I'm being told it's safe by my six people. But how do I know? I, I don't want to take, I don't want to assume the risk. And, and I think <clears throat> that is an interesting element that we have to address is the, the people who take the risk, they do absolutely need to be assured. And there is a world of opportunity for engineering excellence, shall we say, in terms of working with, um, product assurance, system accreditation, and how to deliver those sorts of capabilities in a meaningful way such that the, the user, the operator can just crack on and do their job. They don't need to worry. Um, the, I, I spent a, um, a long time, 20 years dealing with the concept of security in terms of what that means for information sharing and collaboration and that where the challenges are associated with that. I deliberately keep information sharing and collaboration separate. Um, mm -hmm. From an information sharing point of view, then historically there were those challenges about when I put the wire together to do the information sharing, something can then exploit that path ma maliciously. Um, when I do the information sharing, the data that I'm moving is carrying malware. Um, in order to get a connection, it may take a very, very long time to actually establish it or the various mechanisms that are enforcing those first two concerns about the malicious exploitation and the malware, they may affect the integrity of the timeliness of the delivery of the data that I'm getting. Looking in the other direction, there's then the management of confidentiality and labeling and release control. How, how do I make sure that I'm not typing the wrong thing or just allowing the wrong thing out back to that um, in environment I'm talking with? Right. And how to maintain that single source of truth. If I'm moving data from point A to point B to do an analysis on it or to understand it, how do I know that the original data in point A is, hasn't changed? Mm -hmm. And what Garrison is seeking to do is to actually reduce and where possible eliminate to do the need to do information sharing in that exchange way. And our goal there is to actually and approach this from a more collaborative perspective so that as an operator, if I want to know what's going on in a remote system, instead of actually sending myself an email or importing a report or some such thing from that remote environment, I just go and look and see into that remote environment. And I do it in such a way that I never exchange any information with that environment. There's no residual footprint of that data on my system. It is simply an observation piece. And the conversation has already been had with the assurers and the accreditors to say that, yes, that mechanism is robust and will protect you and allow you to, to reach in and do those sorts of things. What you then get is that as well as minimizing the information sharing risk, it means that the actual enabling of the interchange is simplified. So in the past, if I had an SMTP email system on one side and an X400 email system on the other side, 
I had to create information sharing mechanisms to allow those to talk to each other. And that's complex engineering. It's well understood these days, but it's complex engineering. If I'm just reaching into a remote environment, it doesn't matter what standards and protocols they're using in their remote environment because I'm just observing. So all of those challenges are minimized and reduced. As I said earlier on, we're not a silver bullet, but what we're looking to do is say that from a, from a user's point of view, the things that you worry about in terms of, am I going to bring the wrong thing in? Am I going to export the wrong thing out? They go away because actually you're not doing information interchange. It's, it's an isolation technology based approach. It's about that user interoperability as opposed to the system connectivity. There's obviously wiring underneath, but it's right. different. And so really, I think what, just to kind of summarize and tie that all up with the bow is really reframing the way that a comm at any level thinks about that, not exchange um, process, but that, I, I guess it's just called the, the evolution of essay, at least, at, at the very least. If I'm trying to maintain my situational awareness, I accept risk using this platform, but at the same time, the risk is minimized by all the underlying security protocols that exist on my end. And even for one of my operators in the two function to go in there and to retrieve information that they need, they're not actually ever really existing or free sharing that information. They are looking at what they need and building this building our, our collective situational awareness in, in a much more secure manner, but in a much more interoperable way than previously thought possible. Indeed. And, and I think that that's really quite a good example. So as a, as a two, you're, you're looking at various things, searching for the bit that you need. And in a traditional environment, each one of those searches is a data interchange. Each one of those is a protocol exchange. Each one of those is a potential risk. Whereas if actually what you're doing is doing all of your searching as a as an isolated based model, so all of that searching happens in the remote environment, never touches your home environment because you're just seeing what you need. When you find the one bit of data that is actually the thing you need, a document, a line of text, a picture, whatever that happens to be, that's the point where the actual information sharing kicks in. So instead of that constant stream of data interchange to get you to that point, all of which was a risk, I've now actually got to that point and I know that object is the one I want to bring in. And then I can focus the weight of my tools on that one object information interchange. Um, because as you'll be aware from a maritime background, if you want to build a cop, you need track feeds and they need to come from all sorts of different places. Um, yes. But if I want to just look at the white shipping picture, then I can do that in an unclassified space. I don't need to ingest that data into my classified environment. I can just reach out through an isolated web browser and consume that quite happily without moving any data at all. If I want the particular position of that vessel, then that I can bring in. And it's, it's that balance between, again, that, that user interoperability, the searching, the finding, all of that time-consuming stuff and then at the end of that, I want that bit of data. And that's where within that hard sec ecosystem I mentioned, there's an emerging number of products and capabilities that do a really robust mechanism for ingest of data 
across the domain boundary, but you you keep that for when you need it. it I think for, and I apologize to our viewers who are, or our listeners who are hearing things like SMTP and security protocols. And I think just to kind of bring it back down, I think really what in the, in the most, in an oversimplification of what Garrison is doing is it's taking really what people are familiar with, which is simple web browsing. It's a very partitioned way of looking at something without, I mean, yes, you're, you're exchanging your information, but without actually getting into that, I mean, at a very simplest, very simplistic way, it's a very, it's taking that concept instead of actually building the web page and keeping a version of the web page on your desk on a new laptop every single time, which is cumbersome, but which is really what the military does to a large extent is whenever I need this, whenever I need tracks of this sort of aircraft or this sort of platform and this sort of land unit, or I need to do logistics, I have to build a separate system every single time. And that's what we do because of security concerns. But whenever we use the internet, we're very comfortable and we're very familiar with, I need this, I open a browser, I get my information. If I truly need something, I will information exchange, i.e. copy and paste and put into my Word document and put my my uh, my banner across it, but not taking into, into account the security risks with that. I think it's just translating what we're familiar with to we already do this. Let's demystify. This is it. It's a case of that demystification and simplification. So um, I I take your point about the mention of protocols and complexity there. At the very simplest level, um, if you cast your mind back to when you were at school and you were in chemistry lessons, and you had the, the old fume cabinet with the rubber gloves that you would reach into and manipulate nasty chemicals in there. Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about, is, is yes. that simple industrial rubber gloves that allows you to reach in and play safely with all of those tools, all of those information sources that you know all about, you know how to use them, but were previously a separate laptop on your desk yes. or a separate room that you had to go into. Um, or indeed, it was your your own personal phone that you had to wander outside um, and <laughs> yes. use. All of those things coming together on one screen through those rubber gloves, that's the sort of enablement we're talking about to make the operator, the commanders, everybody's lives easier right. um, and, and limit the amount of joining that does go on. And, and so, yeah, I think we've we've definitely simplified for you know because at, at the end of the day um the majority of people who will be using this are people who are not concerned with the the security they're not concerned with the ones and zeros they are concerned with the can i get the information that i need to achieve my objective whether it be in the defense sphere whether it be an actual uh, an offensive campaign they care about can, can i just do it which is a very fair question <laughs> and it is and i i mean and this is one of the things that we address in the commercial world as well as the defense and governmental world is that when we talk about these things from an operator's point of view, we don't want to force them into training and responsibility that is not native and natural to them. This is where technical enforcement under the covers means that they're safe to go and do the things that they want to do. Um, I was speaking to a colleague in the US a few months ago, and one of the ways that he described this was that in the past, his operators 
wouldn't go to certain URLs because they knew that the security guys would come and get them and drag them out of the room <laughs> because the protective monitoring knew. Um, and what we put in place was a mechanism that said, hey, so, so long as there's a business need, reach out to whatever URL you like. It's now right. safe and security are not going to come and get you. And it took a little while for people to realize they then had that freedom. But it means that they can just do their jobs because the enforcement is that underlying technical thing. It's it's going to work. It's in place. They can't mess it up. Um, so they're safe to do whatever they want to do. And, and that is a message that for many users is, is really nice to hear that I'm now allowed to do this. Nice. I can just, I don't need to worry about what the rules are because somebody else is worrying about that. They've built a solution that covers me. Exactly. Um, I actually, I now, I kind of want to circle back to a point that was brought up earlier and one of the terms you brought up, and I think it, it, it can at times be a dirty word for some who are not familiar with the benefits, but COTS, commercial off the shelf. <laughs> yes. I, I think especially people um, who kind of intersect the, the R&D sphere, it, it can be a, well, yes, we want to use it to some, we want to utilize what's out there to some degree, but you know, ultimately we're internally responsible for all the components that go into this. Uh, Garrison is very much, from from my understanding, very much of the the point of view. What if we can use it? It's already out there. Let's use it then. What, what is the benefit to you know our, our endpoint user, to your guys's audience, to, to NATO as a whole, to just embracing the cots that's already available to to the public? Vice, uh, lack of a better term, recreating the wheel. And and I think that is the essence of it. Um, is that that whole recreating the wheel? particularly if you're doing it purely from the basis that I work in this particular area, therefore I am different. Um, so do you do web browsing? Yes, I do. Um, do you use applications? Uh, yes, I do. Do you use VDI? Yes. So actually you're not that different at all, really. Um, and I think this is one of the, the real benefits of COTS is that we are now seeing a huge number of commercially available tools that do the sorts of things that previously were the remit of very, very specialist, sensitive organizations. They are now becoming mainstream capabilities. And it goes back to the piece I was talking about right at the outset, this whole converged threat, converged landscape piece. The, the COTS is becoming sufficiently mature and sufficiently capable that it can now do some of the things that, that defense organizations at the military need for it to do. The benefit of then employing COTS is that you're looking at something that is its development, its evolution is funded by somebody else. You don't need to fund it by the military. Um, the way in which that thing is evolving and developing will have a product roadmap associated with it. So you will see where it's going, see what's, what plans they have. It then means that from the point of view of implementing a system, you're, and, and again, without wishing to oversimplify, you're just plugging Lego bricks together rather than trying to invent the Lego bricks and then plug them together. That gives you reductions in cost, reductions in support overhead, reductions in delivery times. It also changes the focus of your training burden. Um, where relevant, COTS products um, 
often come with lots and lots of training prepackaged, ready to go. You don't have to develop your own. And indeed, in some cases, as we've <clears throat> seen with Microsoft Office, everybody uses that at home. So people are familiar with it. So there are a number of different dimensions where the exploitation of COTS gives you real advantage um, in terms of tempo, cost, support, maintenance, vision for the future. And those are the sorts of areas that for me as um, an enterprise architect working in this environment for a long time, that they were the areas of value that I saw because it reduces risk associated with doing any of these things because other people are doing it and, and they've got the, the weight of the whole world commercial market driving them and you just benefit from it. Okay, so I think right now um, you've sketched out this very desirable vision for a a tool that can increase the C2 processes of a commander and their staff really at any level. I, I'm interested just kind of from your perspective, since you are a company that is dealing with the UK, that is dealing with the US um, national defense um, arms. What what do you see NATO trying to address right now, similar to, to what you're working on? And do you see any overlap with your guys' tool in tr possibly meeting some of those um, ongoing efforts within NATO? So the, the two things that really spring to mind are Federated Mission Network, Future Mission Network, and um, civilian, civilian and military interoperability, so CMIS. Um, the need to join multiple environments together in that federated context is very much an area that we see strong overlap with what we're doing and what we're talking to a number of different clients about, as you say, across the uh, Five Eyes and Wider Nations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that ongoing effort is one that is it's a NATO plus effort in terms of it's not just the NATO coalition, but the 30, let me say 35 plus nations working together to try to solve one of the biggest ongoing issues of how do we not just communicate, but how do we get synchronize our, all of our processes so that we're not having to reinvent across the board. Indeed. And if we, if we take that, that concept of the multi-nation interoperability, so the, the FMN piece of the problem, then what we have done for a number of organizations and what we look to do looking forward is provide that environment where you've got a space with which you're comfortable, but which allows you to interoperate with in a secure fashion those other nations and those other systems in a way that is standardized, but allows you the freedom of maneuver in that information space to say, okay, today I need to connect to, um, let's say Azerbaijan or somewhere right. else of that nature. So I need to make that connection. I need to make that connection quickly, easily, but know that it is trusted. And that is the strength of what we're looking to do here is to provide you that confidence that as a commander, when you want to make that connection, 
bang, you just plug it in. And then your people can reach into that space, whatever that shared environment is. From a civilian interoperability point of view, we can then look at a wider picture. So that, that interoperability space that you plug into um, when it comes to civilian organizations, so Red Cross, Red Crescent, those sorts of organizations, any NGO or OGD, it might be an Amazon workspace. It could be a Microsoft cloud. It could be some homegrown capability that they've got in a back office somewhere. Equally, you can then connect safely to those sorts of things from your point of view. The other half of that is that by using isolation technology and blending in other components that are also available, managed attribution, etc., then you allow your military liaison with those civilian organizations to be done reasonably anonymously as well. So that as well as you being protected from them, from their point of view, they're protected from you in terms of people don't know who they're talking to. It's just somebody in an Amazon workspace that right. they're exchanging information with. Right. And so big picture, looking towards the future. And uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to imagine a world where whether it be Garrison or some other initiative, you know, has implemented this solution across NATO and largely across most national levels. At least NATO partners are implementing tools that work much in the same fashion of what, what Garrison is doing. What what is what does the future outlook look like for for a a safe, secure, interoperable commander? And I think the the first point is it's safe and secure. the the other the key point from my perspective is that the commander and his staff they have a system they know they trust that system. Um, they're familiar with how that system works. They understand how to do their day job in that context. But they're also equally able with a number of these simple interfaces to plug into anything else that they need on demand. So from a deployable systems perspective, um, be it warfighting, humanitarian ops, whatever the reason that you're going, you can pick up your um, deployable kit out of the hangar, stick it in an airplane, fly it where you need it, drop it, open it up, plug in. And that plug in to that remote environment doesn't need months or years of accreditation work, doesn't need a whole bunch of engineering to figure out how those interfaces work. You plug in, you go. Um, it's that high tempo ease of interoperability in a remote environment that 24 hours previously, you didn't even know was going to be a place where you're operating. You're just gone and it works. You are then reaching into a set of tools in that remote environment that are probably already familiar to you. It's just that being used by different nations, being used by different organizations or being used in differing ways. You can just reach in and play in a sensible fashion at very, very high speed, very, very low cost, but with that absolute security. And, and I think that's the thing. Everything that we looked at in the past has been about managing risk and therefore balancing that, taking time to make sure it's managed appropriately. If you can eliminate the risk, you can work much more quickly. So, so truly, 
ready to fight tonight, which is the motto across most services. That That is the vision. It is. It is. Yes. Well, Flash, I, I think you said it all, but for, for those who are wanting to find more information about the work that your organization is doing, um, where, where can they go? So, um, obviously, there's our website is a start of 10, so that's garrison.com. For those who are more interested in the, the architectural principles that we're doing, and this is a, a bit of a computer science test, there is a, a website that is hardsec.org, so hardware security, hardsec.org, um, and there's some uh, work up there to look at how we implement security in hardware rather than software to enable these sorts of conversations um, that we have going forward. Those are the those are the key things that I would say. Yeah, yeah, good to go there. Flash, thank you very much for your time. I think that was uh, extremely informative for everyone. I think anyone listening to this would be extremely interested in the future of C2 and information sharing. And for audience out there, uh, for more information regarding the topic you heard today or for anything related to command and control, you can visit the c2coe.org or any of our social media platforms. Thank you for your time and have a great day. <laughs>